Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Am Not Okay With Day. I am your host, Day. And you guys, we have a special episode. We have our first guest of season three. (laughs) You guys, this guest is actually someone I've known in my entire life. There are only a few people in my life that I can say I've known since birth and this person is one of them. He is a dear friend of mine and I'm so excited to have him because we are actually going to have a conversation today about burnout, particularly burnout when working in the helping profession. So he's actually a chaplain in a hospital. And of course, you guys know I'm a therapist. And so we're going to have a really um, just real and raw conversation about what it's like in the helping profession. I hope you enjoy it. Um, And without further ado, here comes my dear friend, Al Wayne. (laughs) Al Wayne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you on. In the introduction, I was telling everybody that you are one of the only people that I've known for my entire life. Facts. Even (laughs) even before we were outside the womb. Before we existed, you guys, our parents were friends. And so before we even were born, they were friends and then we were born. And that's how we came to know each other. And it's actually amazing that we still have contact with each other after all these years. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, yes, I'm so excited to have you on. Are you ready to dive right in to all the things we're going to talk about today we can dive we can run we can fly let's go let's go but first y'all y'all know the deal we do our some type of way where we talk about something that happened recently that maybe made us feel some type of way i will go first this week my some type of way is really um what is the word It's really sentimental. I'm sorry to go there, y'all, but I just have to go there. So I have been really struggling with the feelings. Yes, play that for me. I'm struggling so much with the feelings, y'all. Okay, y'all know already the feelings. It's hard. But I've been doing this thing where I'm really trying to open up more to my friends and share just what's going on. And so this week I was talking to one of my friends and we had like this really long but meaningful conversation just about things that honestly I hadn't even really talked about with anyone. And it was just so refreshing. And then she was able to open up to me about things and it was just like good times. And I just, I think the thing that makes me feel really good about that is just knowing that there are people who are just going to accept you no matter what, you know, and it just, it hit me right there. So that's my some type of way. Did you cry in this conversation? I sure did. (laughs) Which is also hard for me, but Mm. I'm trying to be more, to embrace the tears more. Mm What about you, Alway? What made you feel some type of way? Oh, well, now I'm wondering if I feel some type of way that you're able to have this conversation with your friend and cry. And meanwhile, I'm over here struggling to cry. 
Mm. And actually wanting to cry more often, but it just doesn't happen. My tears always seem to surprise me. Hmm. So it's like I'll want to cry for a while and then out of nowhere something happens or someone says something and I cry and it's like, whoa, I did not plan or expect to be crying in this moment, yet here I am. Um, but that actually wasn't my some type of way. Okay, well, we can hear the next one. We, we Let's hear the OG one. <laughs> um, so the OG some type of way. Um, so we'll, I guess, get into what I do um, soon enough. But meeting with my supervisor slash primary educator. And he said to me that I like to be SOS. What does SOS mean? SOS means stuck on stupid. And when he said that, I was like, yeah. And he's like, you didn't like that, did you? And I'm like, no, because I'm not stupid. And he's like, I know, I didn't say that you were. But you like to pretend that you don't know the answers to things or like you're not perfectly capable of reflecting or looking at whatever and answering the question because you want me to do all the work I'm not doing that and so when he gave it more context and everything I was like okay I can receive it but at first when he said it it was like "Mm -hmm." so that made me feel some type of way ah sounds like my supervisor that's how we supervisors are like your work therapist you know facts (laughs) big facts oh my goodness well thank you so much for sharing and i feel like i'm gonna probably bring up two the two things that you talked about later on in this conversation but let's let's begin so guys as i mentioned in the intro we're gonna be talking about burnout burnout particularly in the helping profession al wayne as i mentioned in the introduction is a chaplain y'all know i'm a therapist and so we spend our days absorbing all the things so i wanted to ask you first Elwin, how did you decide to go into chaplaincy like what was the thing that made you decide okay this is what i want to do yeah so um i came to america to live in 2013 um having lived in jamaica my whole life and you know i came here wanting to do marketing or something like that, because I thought, "Hmm, that seems fun. Then I pretty much learned that was most of what I was looking at was like glorified door-to-door sales. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's not the move. But um, from sorry to all the marketing people out there. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not sorry. (laughs) He said it, (laughs) y'all. Not me. (laughs) But um. Since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a pastor because I guess that's what ministry looked like. That's what I knew at the time. But then the older I got, my father became a pastor and I was like, having seen what his life was like, I was like, "Mm, that's probably not for me. But when I got here to the States, random people, as well as people who knew me pretty well, would 
see me and just be like, are you a pastor? I'm like, nope. My father is, but I'm not. And it's like, you know, I think that you should be a pastor or you should, you know, do be in the ministry, blah, blah, blah. And my answer was always the same, you know. Okay, but if I don't sense that God is telling me that for myself, then I'm not going to do that just because that's what people think I should do. Um, so that happened quite a bit. And then I remember it was um, July of 2014. I was in New York um, and I was talking with my best friend. We were walking, it was like Saturday afternoon, like in between lunch and church. And he was one of the people who was really encouraging me to go to the seminary. So that's where you go to study if you want to do a master's in um, divinity. That's what that's what the degree is called. And he said to me, Alain, you know that if you go to the seminary, you don't have to be a pastor. You could be a chaplain. And I don't know why, I don't know what it was, but something, it's like a light bulb just went off and I was like, huh. I never actually considered chaplaincy. But funny enough, my father, when we were in Jamaica, he also worked as a chaplain and a pastor at the same time. So the concept wasn't foreign to me, but I just had never thought about me being a chaplain. Yeah. And yeah, and so that planted the seed in my head. And I asked my pastor at the time, I said, how do you know they're supposed to go into the ministry? And he says, well, in, in ministry terms, we always use the term shepherd. And so he says, if you're supposed to be a shepherd, then God will give you sheep. And I, I said, oh, crap, because at the time I was working in a pharmaceutical company, has nothing to do with ministry, marketing, <laughs> chaplaincy, nothing. But at that company, I was just being myself, but finding people coming to me, asking me about God, having like impromptu devotions with people in, in, in um, conference rooms and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, this is actually already happening. And so from that moment, I felt like, okay, this is really what I'm supposed to do. And so I went to the seminary. And four years later, or is it five? Oh, five. Well, time flies. Here I am. Wow. For those people who don't know what a chaplain is, why don't you go ahead and talk about that? Because I was going to ask you what your understanding of chaplaincy and what being a chaplain was, but then mm -hmm. you said that your dad was a chaplain. So you, it sounds like you had an understanding of what it entailed. But for those who don't know, tell us what is a chaplain? Good question. So um, to be honest, I don't think I really understood what it was like when my father was. I just knew that he went to the hospital. He saw people in the hospital um, that he would pray for them or something. But like outside of that, I mm. didn't really like see him at work in his chaplaincy role. Um, there is a saying that all chaplains are pastors, but not all pastors are chaplains. Mm. And so um, a chaplain, like just the bare bones of it, a chaplain is like 
the the go-to spiritual person as an organization, usually an organization that is not necessarily religious in nature. So for organizations or churches or religions that have a specific person, like in Christianity, you'd have a priest or bishop or pastor, reverend, whatever you call it, a chaplain would... Um, a chaplain would be responsible for some of that function, but then I think chaplains take it a step further. The chaplains help people to practice their spirituality. Now notice, not religion, but spirituality. Are there some religious components to it? Yes, but there are, one. that's one of the things I love the most about chaplaincy is that you're going to, chaplains will probably have their own, well, not probably, chaplains will have their own faith tradition if you will and their own practices but the purpose the chaplain actually helps people to practice that person's thing mm -hmm. so for instance i personally am christian but on a day-to-day -day basis i interact with people who are muslim i have had experiences interacting with people who are hindu i've interacted with people who don't believe in god or a concept of a higher power necessarily but as a chaplain, I'm still responsible for seeing to the spiritual well-being of that person. And so a chaplain could be in several different settings. You have hospital, military, um, like campus, college campuses, um, prison chaplaincy, basically anywhere. Businesses could have chaplains and some businesses do, although I don't think that's as common. And so... Um, it, within spirituality, a big part of that that chaplaincy focuses on is emotions and how people are dealing with the emotions that whatever situation they find themselves in is bringing up. Mm -hmm. So, in a very not so small nutshell, I guess. <laughs> no, I think that's really really helpful. So, like, describe to me what a day to day would look like for you. <laughs> That's hard because every setting and every day is different. So like where I am right now. So I'm actually a chaplain resident at the moment. So like mm -hmm. I'm a chaplain in training, but I'm still a chaplain. Whereas the hospital that I work at primarily has um, the patients are people with severe and persistent mental illnesses where I am currently. Oh, wow. Um, so what that looks like on a day-to-day, -day, um, I would go to the unit or ward, if you will, and just interact with the people. That, like in this setting, the relationships are more long-term. And so it's in a way it's like kind of like my church if you will because like I'm seeing the same people on a regular basis because the the patients actually live there basically mm -hmm. there's people oh. who will be there for weeks months years there's people who've been there for like 40 years so oh, like wow. they actually live there and so I will meet with people. Sometimes people will come to me. They might ask for prayer. They might ask for religious material. 
sometimes and a lot of times it's just having conversations like as they're dealing with different challenges just kind of finding out um how they're dealing with the challenges how the challenges make them feel sometimes it's not even challenges sometimes they just want to share something that was interesting or maybe the conversation is them telling me what the experience is like dealing with their illness you know um, there's a lot of stigma around mental illnesses. And so for me personally, being in this setting has been unlearning some of some of those stigmas um, and not perpetuating them anymore. Because when I came in, like there's lots of stigmas that I would have carried like, oh, well, wow, you have a mental illness. I didn't think that somebody who have a mental illness would be mm -hmm. so coherent and like that's a stigma you know yeah um being in a college setting as a chaplain would be different um which I have some experience with whereas you know students might come to your office there might be issues that they're dealing with usually in a spiritual nature mm -hmm. um and as well as like planning programs for the campus like spiritual programs and stuff like that so it really depends on what setting you are so I've also yeah. been in general medicine which is like more acute trauma like I've seen people come in with stab wounds gunshots fell off mm. something and I have to support not only the patients but also the family if somebody dies, like tragically, even the staff needs support because it's a lot. Yeah, I think that's a great explanation. I think a lot of people who don't know or didn't know what chaplaincy was will definitely understand now. And I think that will help to understand where we're going to go with the rest of this conversation. For me, I, um, I got into the field because it's just a classic story of you're in high school and you do an aptitude test and the aptitude test tells you what you should do as your career. And my mm. test told me I should be a marriage counselor. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, that's weird. That's interesting. So after that, I like, it was close to college time and I looked into, you know, different ways to get there. Social work came up and I was like, Hey, this sounds good to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been the person though, who everybody comes to with their problems. Like I was always my friend's Same. therapist <laughs> before I became an actual therapist. So like it kind of like you, where it was natural for you, wherever you were, you just kind of exuded chaplain energy. It was the same thing for me. And so it just kind of like happened where I did social work. I went to college. I did my master's, all the things. And yeah, I, I wasn't expecting to be a therapist though. Um, I didn't really know much until I went to college to figure out, okay, like all the different things that social workers can do, but therapy What did sounded, you expect to be? Well, you know, like you have case managers, the classic, like, oh, we remove the kids from the home, you know, I didn't want to do that. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have, you have like, um, 
like at the macro level where you're working with like social policies, you can work with like agencies, do stuff like that. Or you can do like what I'm doing, which is on the micro level, which is like individual therapy and stuff like that. So I figured out that this might be good for me like towards the end, but I really didn't know. I started working with kids. I started working in a special ed- education school actually. And I thought, yeah, kids are my jam. Like I'm going to work with them forever and ever. And then I later got a job at a community agency um, working with adults and I loved doing that. And so I was like, okay, I think adults is where it's at. <laughs> There's a different level of like connection and we can really yeah. see the progress that we're making with adults. Mm-hmm. And also I can hold adults accountable, whereas children are relying on their parents. And I mean, sometimes you could hold the kids accountable too. Okay, like you can. You can, but then they go back home to their parents. <laughs> and True. like, I think the frustration for me is I will be so, I would make so much progress with a kid, but then mm-hmm. they will go back home and they just do all the steps back. Undo. And it's like, yeah, yeah you're like, oh, so that was really hard. But anyways, I, I, I did a therapy with adults and that is just where my passion is. And that's where I want to stay. So mm-hmm. right now I'm working as a therapist as a residential at a residential facility for eating disorders and I mm. love it. So it's very challenging of course, but it's very fulfilling. So yeah. Which kind of brings me to the next point, which is what are some things that came up for you that were like you expected and unexpected in the job? Yeah, so um one thing that I knew going into chaplaincy, so in chaplaincy, we have to, well, not have to. I mean, it's recommended. I would personally recommend doing something called clinical pastoral education, which is like probably the standard type of training that you would do in this country to become a chaplain. I knew going into that that. Um, I would have to talk about feelings a lot, but my thinking was like, well, people are going to tell me about their feelings, but I didn't realize just how much I would need to learn and attend to my own feelings, um, be aware of how the experiences from my childhood or just my life would affect me and, um, at times bring up trauma or triggers and stuff like that. Like I didn't, I thought, well, I'm going in to help. I didn't know just how much some of these experiences would actually impact me and bring things up that some, a lot of the time I didn't even realize that they were there. And so being in a clinical pastoral education program has really unearthed a lot of that because Mm. the educators have been chaplains for a long time and they will that that whole thing about feelings it's like you cannot be in this program and not talk about feelings and so (laughs) in just regular day-to-day life we'll say things (laughs) well you know I feel like you're not listening to me or I feel as though blah 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 and in this chaplaincy thing I say I feel like this person and my educator would be like, you feel 
what? I didn't hear an actual feeling word. And then I have to sit there and be like, wait, how do I actually feel? And then if I can't come up with a feeling, we have to print out these feeling wheels with like different colors with your core emotions and then like derivatives and stuff like that. So I didn't expect that I'd be going into all of that. So that was definitely a big surprise. Yeah. You know, what is very funny is that, and I think all schools need to do this, all um, helping profession schools need to do this. But actually in my undergrad program, all we did was self-reflection. All of our papers were on ourselves. All we did was like our final portfolio was our entire life with all of like our dramas, like how everything affected us, like strengths, weaknesses. And then the very final, after we completed this whole portfolio, we had to do all these psychological tests. We had to meet with a therapist and they would go over all these things. And at the end, we had to do a presentation with all of our professors and they would have our whole portfolio that we sent in, make all these notes about all these things and come and be like, okay, so you said X and how has this affected your life? Like it was so extensive. Mm-hmm. That's all we did. And I, at the time did not understand it either. Like, why am I spending so much time talking? talking about myself. I mean, I'm literally like dissecting every part of my life. And it made perfect sense once you get into the field, because exactly like you said, what happens is you get in there and then you just get triggered with all kinds of things. Like it's just not possible to talk to humans, take in whatever the things are that they're saying and feel Mm -hmm. nothing. You, you, not we're not robots it's going to affect you in some way and you have to be checked in into your own feelings it's just the only way so and if you don't feel anything then you're probably not present with the person yeah if you don't feel anything it's probably a sign you need to go into therapy okay (laughs) there's a bigger issue there Because it's just not a natural response to hear people talking about hard stuff and not Mm -hmm. feel things. It's just not possible. Yeah. So very, very interesting. For me, I think the biggest thing that I did not expect was the difficulty in not taking the things home. I Hmm. thought that I would be I would have no problem separating myself from my job. Like I really did not expect the, yeah, like the the, the residual um, effects of the job. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until again, like I started working and I would come home and it's not obvious to you at first. At first it just comes off like, don't even talk to me. I don't want to talk about anything. <laughs> I don't even want to like think about things. Oh. Then it turned into like, I don't want to do anything. I don't even want to cook. Like I don't want to do any kind of adulting, anything. And then it just turned into just like, I'm going to spend every waking moment distracting myself because mm-hmm. if I have any moment of silence to think about my feelings and how everything is affecting me, yeah, I'm going to go crazy. I can't do, th- do this. And I spent so much of my time just distraction with distractions. Like I had shows, podcasts, music, just my head was constantly with distractions. And that's when I was like, okay, 
we got to do something because this isn't working out. This is yeah. not working out. And so that's kind of my biggest challenge. And I think I figured out a way. I think I, I did come to a time when I figured out a way how to do it. And mm-hmm. then everything in my personal life just went up in um, shambles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then it became hard again because it was like, okay, personally, I'm going through all this stuff. And now mm-hmm. I got to go to work. And sometimes hear people going through the same thing. And I'm I'm just like, yes, girl, I feel you. <laughs> and mm. I'm like, I want to be like, I know what you feel. I, I know what you're feeling. I get it. And it's just like that we have things that we're just like, oh my gosh, it just was so hard to separate because I'm noticing in my heart, I'm about to break down. Like I can't do this. And so, yeah, I, I think that now that I'm, in therapy, especially. I'm now talking about my feelings. My feelings are on the surface, like they're right Mm -hmm. there. So when I'm talking to people, it's just more uh, accessible, which sounds like it's good, but sometimes it feels like, oh no, we're too close to breaking down. Like, let me stuff this down. Like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it just, it's hard. It's hard to, to find that balance, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Which brings me to my next question, which is how do you find the balance? Like, how are you able to balance all of the, the personal stuff and like the professional life? How are you able to mm-hmm um figure that out like what's the secret keeping a work-life balance is very hard but it can be done is something that I have to be very intentional about um I find that for me it's easier when things in my personal life are not overly stressful or like there's not too much going on that's bringing anxiety or anger or anything like that because when I think that my personal life probably impacts me as a chaplain more than me working as a chaplain impacts my personal life. That's but interesting. There are times where I there are times where I come home and I'm talking to my spouse and I definitely have my chaplain brain on. Oh when yeah. I know all about that. Might, not necessarily want the chaplain brain and she actually wants me to give suggestions and stuff and I'm like well how do you feel and like well I feel like and then not a feeling and I'm like that's not a feeling (laughs) but you know I have to I have to practice I suppose because it there are times where I also need the reminder um but yeah if things are stressful or um difficult than when I go to work sometimes I'm not as present with people as I would like to be so people are talking to me and they'll say something that might be really important but I'm in my head thinking about what's going on or maybe not even necessarily thinking about what's going on in my life but just not having the energy just not being able to focus and I'll just miss things. And then when I write about it, bring it to my education time, it's like, okay, what were you feeling here? What were you thinking here? And, you know, sometimes I might 
go through periods where my motivation is just really low. I come home, you know, I have work to do and I just can't do it. And then it's like pressure and anxiety and it just, it just gets all overwhelmed. And then I just curl up into a little ball and pray and say, <laughs> please, God, help me to get through this because I don't have it right now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the same thing for me. Like it, it, it's just hard to have, sometimes it's hard to be intentional. Like you try to do all the things, you know, like I will leave work and they say, take off your badge so you can feel like you're not at work anymore, you know, and I'll do Mm -hmm. all the things, but sometimes it's just hard to figure out the balance. But the number one thing that helps me is therapy. (laughs) Hmm. 10 out of 10 recommend. Okay. Hmm. Because listen, sometimes it's just too much. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the people in your life are not equipped to deal with all of these things. Like, especially, I don't know if you, if that is something that you find is the case, but we'll seeing that you're more affected by the personal life instead of the work. But like, sometimes I will have a difficult issue going on at work, but I feel like I can't really talk about it with my parents or like my friends because they don't get it. Or sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like, man, like I don't really want to talk to them because I don't want to bring the vibe down. Like it's really yeah. depressing. They didn't choose this career. I did. And so it's kind of like, I want to release, but sometimes I can't because like they mm-hmm. don't get it. And so that's why having a therapist is really important because I can First of all, she already knows for me personally, she already understands mm-hmm. what I'm going through, but she's also a third party person that literally is being paid to listen to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and was, so, yeah, go ahead. No, I was watching. I don't know if you've seen um, this on Apple. I shouldn't be giving any free plugs, but I've been watching <laughs> Ted Lasso. I've heard about Telazo. I haven't watched it. Is it worth the hype? Because everybody's obsessed. I think it is. I really do. But in the second season, so not giving too much away, this amazing Mm -hmm. psychologist comes in and he has this conversation basically belittling what she does, saying like, oh, she's saying that she's here for me, but you're here because you're paid to listen to me. But she flips it back on him. It's like, you coach the team. Do you coach the team for free? And like, well, <laughs> no. Oh, so, uh, so when you said that the therapist is paid to listen, immediately my mind went to that. But um, yeah, it's that's something that I've had to be more intentional with, like not carrying home mm-hmm. stuff because I don't want to be overwhelming my spouse with everything that's going on. And then now she's in this mode trying to give me solutions and try to fix. And and it's like, I probably need to also find somebody else to talk to. So sometimes like I have a couple of, I do have a couple of friends who are also in chaplaincy. So sometimes I talk to them, but lately I've gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, bro it's time to find a therapist so like i'm actively i actually have a referral so it's just a matter of calling the number now and do it do it actually doing it (laughs) 
I love that for you. Yes, coworkers are everything. One thing that I appreciate the most about my job right now is there's a lot of support from like our supervisors, from staff, from leadership. We have um, individual supervision, group supervision every Mm -hmm. single week. That really helps too, because it just, it's so helpful to talk to someone who's also going through it, knows exactly what it's like. And can give you advice. And then I I was telling my friend this too, like I was having a hard day this week and I talked to my supervisor and I told my friend, you know what? I ended up talking to my supervisor. I actually feel better. Not even really because she told me like any great advice, but she just said that she also feels the same way. And I don't know what it is about just knowing that someone also feels misery loves company. It's just like, (laughs) just knowing that someone gets you, there's something about it that just feels better. And I left there feeling like, okay, I'm not alone. I think what it is, is it's like, you're not alone, but also if they are in the position that they are in and they got through it or they're experiencing the same thing, then it's not impossible. You know, like it's encouraging in some ways, I guess, but yeah so you just you just keep saying things that are bringing up pictures or stuff that i've seen oh Um, i saw i saw this at work i think i I may have posted this on my instagram that says on particularly tough days when you feel like you can't possibly endure anymore remind yourself that your track record for getting through tough days is 100 percent. so regardless of how not capable you may feel you so got this. I, I love like, that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Today I actually had therapy. Mm-hmm. And my therapist, I was talking about, again, like my emotions on the surface because I was telling her that like, ah, that it's just been really hard to separate. Like I was telling you, separate my feelings and work and that I'm afraid of, um, not being able to like breaking down and not being able to pick myself back up. And she said, it sounds more like, cause we, we started talking about the impact that work has on my mental health and stuff. And I mm-hmm. was saying that I, I, I have to keep it in the box. Like I had to compartmentalize. Says I have, who? I, okay. And basically that's what she said. She said, what if you don't put the things in the box? What if you don't put your feelings in the box? And I was like, then I'll cry in front of a client and I'll probably break down. And she's like, and what if you cry in front of a client? And I'm like, I can't do that. Why? Because then I'm going to look like I'm not a professional. (laughs) And she's like, or you're going to look like you're a human. And Mm -hmm. That Come on, therapist. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, I see what you did there. But it's, I think that's another issue that comes up for me in a, a feel like what we're in, where it's like you feel like you shouldn't be human because people are coming to you with their issues. So you have to be this like robot almost. You have mm. to be this professional. Mm-hmm. And people are looking to you so you cannot break down. You cannot cry. You cannot show any hum- humanity essentially. And it's something I'm working hard at breaking down right now because I be struggling. So I'm wondering... As I listen to that, does pride 
play a role in that, if any? And if not pride, what would you say might be mm-hmm. the reason for that? Yeah, I think the thing for me is that I think it's I think a part of it has to do with culture in that we uh, let's are, go there. We're gonna go there. <laughs> Alwyn and I are Jamaican, so we know what let's you know. We, we're on the same page, but like that culture of we need to be strong, and it's crazy because I've been in the mental health field for a while. Like I believe all this stuff, and I so much don't want to be influenced by my culture in this way, but I cannot help it. So I have judgment on myself mm. when I'm getting vulnerable when I feel vulnerable and if I express that vulnerability it's like there's something in the back of my head that's like girl don't do it why are you doing this this is not professional like this is not okay you know Mm -hmm. and so there's a time and place you know like all of these voices in the back of my head so I think that's what it is it's not even a pride it's just like a judgment on Mm -hmm. my tears and I told my friend this too like after therapy I was like I was crying and I'm like getting mad at myself for crying and then I said you know what why are we judging our tears so much I'm tired Mm. of judging my tears Mm -hmm. but I think that's what it is to look at it from even another perspective so like my parents like I have great parents um but I think that they also just it's like if your feeling is not happiness or something it's then like if i'm angry and i'm complaining about something no way out once so far calm down or if i'm disappointed or i'm hurt about something oh don't beat up yourself you know um just trust god and this and that you know so it's like quick to go to religion you know mm-hmm. uh, the bible says this and that and that, that, that. somebody's crying we have why are you crying you know and it's like this whole thing of if the emotion is not happy or something in that yellow or green sphere that is considered a positive emotion we're taught or um, conditioned to think that something is wrong. And so we're not supposed to express that emotion. Like I got, what do you want to call it? Beating, whooping, whatever. As a kid, you get spanked. It's like, what are you crying for? What, what do you mean by what I'm crying something for? To cry you, for. Just, <laughs> you just hit me. What, 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 what am I supposed to do? Smile and say thank you? <laughs> right? But... You know, we come from this background where a lot of times our parents didn't encourage us to show all of our emotions. And when we did show emotions, like I remember being in like grade five, grade six, my teacher moved me from sitting beside my best friend and I cried like all day. And he eventually moved him back or moved me back. I forget who moved. That's why you need to cry so you can get your way. exactly but also you cry and people be like yo why are you crying like what kind i'm a guy and you know guys aren't supposed to cry and then people look at you like oh this is weak you know if you cry easily it's like something's wrong with you and so we we 
are conditioned to think that we have to have this tough exterior. And so the only times you can cry is if like you're physically in pain or somebody died or something. Every mm. other time, don't cry. Right. And that's, I mean, that's the thing. Like when you are told that you or the message that is being sent is that anytime you feel a negative emotion, like it's unacceptable. Yeah. You're going to feel like you're going to be down on yourself and beat up on mm-hmm. yourself when it comes up, especially in natural situations. And, you know, my therapist and I too, we've been talking about me. We, we call it, she's, she calls it like gripping onto the wheel of, uh, the wheel of control where it's mm-hmm. like, I want to just control all, my, all of my emotions mm-hmm. and all, all the things. But most importantly, like, I don't want to feel because it feels uncontrollable. And therefore, I grip on tight to mm-hmm. any kind of sense of control that I can get. But what mm-hmm. happens is, like, my, my hands are dying. Like, I'm exhausted because all I'm doing is, is fighting against something that's natural. And she was like, what if you just did what's actually normal? Like, this is what's appropriate for the situation, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but we're taught that something that is natural is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just imagine how powerful it would be if we did show our emotions more, not necessarily just crying, but like, that's something that I'm learning right now in my practice, as people tell you things like to actually share what I'm feeling as I hear what you're saying, you know, wow, that makes me upset to hear that, or I'm sad to, so like, it's not just like, oh, you're sharing this thing and then you're like, oh, that's terrible or like pity or condescending mm-hmm. or whatever. But like, no, I actually feel that emotion that you're sharing. No, that's messed up, man. That's terrible. That's awful. You know, tell me more about that. Like actually that humanity, like actually connecting for real, for real and yes. not just appearing to connect. Yeah. And that's the thing too, like, when you connect, when you express, when you are vulnerable in that way, like it does create more authentic connection and then you can Mm -hmm. do your job even better, which is another thing I have to remind myself of. Like if, if you were to cry with a client, if there's a good chance that the client might see that you are a human and feel more Mm -hmm. safe with you and therefore want to continue sharing things, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, again, it's like our brains are wired to think a certain way, which, and it's just a complete opposite and if we're able to un- un- untangle the the things in our brain and just do the things that are actually normal mm-hmm. like problems could be solved you know yeah and even I'll- if they couldn't be solved then at least the people that we're companioning will know that well they couldn't fix it but they sat there with me through it And that, we were talking about that today at work, sitting with people, there is something about, I mean, that's what I was talking about with my friend too earlier. It's just like, it's not about, okay, here's a solution to your your problem, but you are sitting with me as I am in this struggle. Mm -hmm. And that is worth so much, you know? 
Um, I wanted to ask you too, you brought up like being a man and stuff. Has that been something that has impacted you in this field? Like the, the, the toxic masculinity, like the ideas that you have to be a strong man, that you cannot cry, you cannot express emotions. And then going into a field where they're telling you the complete opposite, like, has that been something that has affected you? Um, I would say that for me, I actually came into chaplaincy wanting to be able to express my emotions more because as a child, a Growing up until maybe like 12, 13, like I could cry for mm. anything easily. Like you talk to me a way I don't like, I would start crying. And now it's like the worst thing could happen to me and it will take weeks or months. Like I'm angry, I'm grieving, I'm hurt, I'm whatever. Mm. And there will be no tears until suddenly out of seemingly nowhere it just creeps up and then afterwards i'm like whoa i didn't expect that i would be crying so like that's something that i actually want and yeah so i i i conduct groups spirituality groups at work and that's something um Maybe it wasn't this week, it was last week, but that's something that we were talking about. I talked about crying with the individuals that were in my groups and, you know, talking about how you feel when you cry, what's, what were the benefits mm -hmm. and like, so this is men and women and asking, you know, when was the last time you cried? So I, yeah, the last time I cried was October 4. Don't ask me why I know the date specifically, I just do. Okay. But, it was it was very necessary it was something i had been holding in a lot and it was like somebody just took a pin and it's like boop and yeah you know and, and i felt relief i felt lighter afterwards so i am a big advocate for crying whether you're male, female, non-binary, whatever, whoever Love you it. are, like yes. cry. And yeah. Um, okay. So my question is what <laughs> since what do you think it is that changed for you when it came to crying? Since you were like able to do it so well, and then like what happened there? Um, I think, so the short answer is I'm not 100% sure, but therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm you on are my going, way. you are I'm going on my way. Do not tarry. Um, okay. I'm not tarrying. I just, I don't, I don't work tomorrow. So maybe I'll call tomorrow. Or but, I don't work tomorrow, so I will call tomorrow. Well, you know, I promise I'm not putting it off on purpose. I just, I'll do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Besides, since I got the referral, I have 30 days to set the appointment okay, up. Okay, that's and if good. I so don't, so, to... you know, procrastinators mm. like me, we need oh, a little timeline and everything. <laughs> Yeah, but um, I think there may be, I think there's a situation where um, 
I did something that I didn't think was a big deal and my parents did not see it the same way. And um, I think that this is it. I'm not sure, but basically I got a beating for it. And after this beating, like immediately after I'm still in full <laughs> mode mm -hmm. and my parents decided that it was a good time to have worship and that I, in the midst of my tears, was going to have to say one of the prayers. And um, yeah, I don't know, like at that point, I it could have also just been part of like the whole toxic masculinity culture like everybody around me is not crying so I'm becoming a teenager becoming a man men shouldn't mm. cry it's good like it's a badge of honor not to cry and so for a long time I took that to heart and became yeah. proud and then here I am now actually experiencing more hardships and difficulties in life and carrying around lots of resentment and anger and hurt and disappointment and wishing that it would come out mm. but most of the times it doesn't so now I'm like man I need to get that back where I can cry and just release things even if I can't change them just be able to express it mm. it's funny because I feel like we have the opposite problem where I never used to really cry and I didn't really want to cry and then all of a sudden just like non-stop tears and I'm mm -hmm. like oh, bro I'm tired of crying I literally said the other day over this past year I feel like I spent 80 percent of this year crying just in wow. tears I'm tired Tired. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Let me just like give some of that to you through the screen. Okay? Please. <laughs> Please. And I'll I'll give you just a little bit of my not crying. Not not a whole lot. Yeah. Well, okay. So circling back to the burnout question, mm -hmm. how do you know when you're burned out? Like, what is the thing for you that says, okay, we need a break? This too much. This too much. Is that that lady from Sweet Life from Zach and no that Drake and Josh? Anyway, I'm mm. I'm thinking of the meme and she's like, oh, <laughs> oh actually, I don't remember, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, when I'm burnt out, what the one of the biggest tells is that things that I'm normally able able to do with not I'm not going to say it's easy but things that the amount of effort that it takes me to do something doubles or triples and it's like I'll sit there I'll be on my mm. phone I'll be scrolling 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 like man I really should start this thing now all right one more game 25 minutes 30 minutes an hour later and then it's just like mm. I'm just going to go to sleep. I'll wake up early and do this. Next day comes. And then the deadline is like in two hours. And I'm just like, you know, so 
there are times where I just, my energy is low, so I should be going to my units to visit people. And I'm just, I just wait till like the very last moment or something. And yeah, that's, that's, that's like the, that's, that's, I think my biggest tell. Yeah. Yep. What's yours? Mine is kind of like what I was saying earlier. It's just like, I don't feel like talking to anybody. Mm. I don't feel like doing anything, no energy. When I'm eating out a lot, it's because I don't want to (laughs) cook. And it's just like, I I just don't want to do anything. Yeah, the energy, Mm -hmm. like, like you said, energy is low. Doing basic things is hard. And things that I would normally brush over or normally would be able to handle. It just is too hard. And I'm like, I can't when I'm dreading going to work, when I'm driving Mm. and there is a heaviness in my chest, that's a sign the honey, we need a holiday. Okay. We need a Mm. vacation. This ain't it. So yeah, that's it for me. I mean, what do you do when like, you can't take a vacation and you don't have any PTO and you are feeling this burnout. Like, what do you do? Well, most times I show up and I do what I can. And I try to be honest about how I'm feeling with, you know, my supervisor and Nine out of ten times, the response is usually gracious and understanding. And a lot of, hmm, maybe you should see a therapist about that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, being in this field, I am fortunate that my superiors are very understanding because they are chaplains themselves. And, you know, they're older than I am. They've seen it all, been through it all. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's helpful to be able to talk to them. Sometimes I talk to them and they give me feedback that doesn't feel good or that I don't like, but it's like, you're right, you're right, you're right, right." (laughs) you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's ever gotten to the point that I had zero PTO or sick days or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully it never does but yeah recently there have been several days I wake up and it's so hard to get ready to go yeah and I'm super late I don't even bother to text oh running late blah, blah. I just I get there when I get there I'll try <laughs> to stay behind so that you know my hours are mm-hmm. where they're supposed to be but yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, when I, I've definitely had my PTO run out and I'm like, Lord, what are we going to do? <laughs> That's happened to me before. And it's hard because like you said too, a lot of the times the burnout comes when personal life is also trash. <laughs> yep. And so you can't even get 
the rest you really need in your house because their mm. personal life mm. sucks. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's yep. not like there's no escape anywhere. None. And that's just hard. And that I think hard. that's the number one reason why, again, therapy very important and also having a person like even if it's just one person in your life who you can speak to outside of your therapist kind of like on a regular basis I have um, a friend that I can talk to about literally anything at any moment in time and that has been a saving grace for me. And so like in days like that too she kind of holds me accountable too like hey, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. Her number one question to me is, did you pray about it? <laughs> and in those moments, I'm just like, sometimes I'm like, girl, you're right. And sometimes I'm just like. That could be a trigger for me personally. <laughs> but um, Yeah. But, the, but you know what is really crazy is that that's it, right? Like when I was just talking about this in a Sabbath school the other day. When we fall, like when things are going terribly in our lives, my go-to at least is let me distract, as I said, let me watch a show, let me listen to music, let me listen to podcasts, let me just dive into something that I can fully just like turn my mind off and focus on this other thing, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is that's a temporary fix. That is not going to fix the problem. So I eventually have to come back. And the problem is still there. And it's like, why don't we go to the person who can actually solve our problem? Why don't we go to the person who can actually give us peace? Mm -hmm. And so having a friend that can say, hey, did you pray about it? Did you go to God about it? You know, it's not, it's not like the same thing of like, oh, just pray. But it's like, hey, this is something that is helpful and can be helpful. And maybe you should do this. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, um, I'm thankful for her that she can keep me in check (laughs) Mm -hmm. in those times. And I think what you said earlier about intentionality, that's Mm -hmm. what I'm learning and I'm trying to do now, like. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I need something that I can do that is completely relaxing, has is not a distraction like TV shows, but is something that I can maybe do, you know, maybe with my hands. That's a good productive activity, but also mm-hmm. relaxing. Like, you should I, yeah. join the club and join the club and start playing tennis. Tennis. <laughs> I, yeah, so that's like been one of my biggest self-care things. Really? Is playing tennis. Yeah. But even in that, I still had to like start getting more intentional with it because yeah. there became points where it was not bringing me relaxation, but was actually getting me more angry <laughs> because so I'm super LP. competitive. I'm very competitive. I like to win. Oh my gosh. I like to win a lot. So maybe a competitive sport is not your self-care thing? So, right. (laughs) I realized that, so you can play tennis where like you're just hitting back and forth, back and forth, no Uh points, no nothing. That's great. And I had to kind of test and go through and realize that Maybe I shouldn't play competitively, especially so I've been like using Facebook groups to find people to play with and so on. 
And I also realized that I feel much more comfortable. I feel much more relaxed when I play tennis with somebody. Like, obviously, in the very beginning, I don't know them. But, like, Mm -hmm. I'm very big on how do I feel as I interact with this person. Mm -hmm. And if I feel safe and, like, I can be myself, usually I play much more loosely, loosely in the sense that I'm relaxed. I'm playing the best that I could play versus well I don't feel particularly safe oh this person is better than me now I need to prove that I can like be up to their level so that they'll want to play with me again because it's hard to find people to play with and it's like a whole thing and then it's not relaxing so now I like either I play with people that I've built a kind of Mm -hmm. relationship with or people who just want to hit back and forth back and forth so like there's no winning attached and it's been great so now it's at the point where it's relaxing <laughs> now all it's the time. Now okay, it's, but it's you good. just find random people to play with on the internet. Like you're brave. You are brave. I see. I can. I mean, I, you see. I was gonna say that sounds good, but I don't know anyone here. I got no friends over here. May, maybe. So who am I gonna play with? <laughs> and then you talk about some. playing with strangers. <laughs> I can't so it's not like we're going to some isolated place that that there's nobody there there's like lots of courts lots of people but also i mean maybe there's some male privilege in that also for me yeah, personally you, so you are a tall man who you i mean i know you so you're not intimidating but like i feel like someone who can look at you would probably think that you're intimidating <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gotten that before i have the complete opposite of that <laughs> so i can't do that unfortunately for me <laughs> but yes i think a self-care activity is of utmost importance i'm still trying to figure out what that's going to be for me um but I got to figure out something because I, I'm not feeling burnt out yet, but I can see mm-hmm. that it's very much possible. So, and yeah. that's another thing, like getting ahead of yourself, man, getting ahead of the game and re- recognizing like, okay, what this job, what you're doing actually entails, how it's going to impact you. Let's try to um, pre-plan so mm-hmm. we don't fall into this trap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you journal? I do sometimes. Okay. Be forgetting, man, but I do journal sometimes. I like. How does that work for you? Great, I love it. I've actually, you know, what I started doing? I started writing poems, and that's been really. I know. (laughs) I actually started writing poems last year, and the other day I told myself I should just type up all of the poems that I've written over the year. And I typed, I, I was typing them up one day and I didn't finish all of them. And it came up to 16 poems that I wrote. And I was like, wow. I can't believe I wrote this much. And I told myself, okay, you know what? I think I'm going to, um, I want to keep it together. Maybe I'll make a little book for myself. Like, I'm not a professional. Yeah. Like we're not, like I'm not Rupi Core or anything like that. Okay. <laughs> but I want to keep it for myself though, as mm-hmm. like, like, I don't know. 
a rem- remembering where memoirs. we're at. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I do. I will mm-hmm. write poems a lot more because I think that I'm I'm able to like get the point across quicker. Like journaling mm-hmm. is like you're just writing a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that when I can get it out in a poem form, it's faster. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So for me, um, I it's been recommended that I journal which would probably help me to do more self-reflection. So I, I probably yes. should. Do it. Um, one thing, well, two things technically, both involve writing that I've done, but usually this is like at the point where I'm like up to here, I've had it. Um, one was, so I've done therapy before. It's not okay. like I'm therapy avoidant or something. Okay, good to know. And <laughs> It was recommended to me that I write a lament. Like, you know, if you read the Psalms in the mm. Bible, David be like, how long, oh Lord, will yada, yada, yada. <laughs> so yeah. I actually wrote a lament once and I actually read it. It was about seven and a half minutes. Um, wow. It was, it, yeah, but that helped a lot, actually. And Funny enough, well, not funny, but at the end of that lament, I actually used it in a sermon and I cried like 15 seconds afterwards. And then (laughs) the the other one was I like out of nowhere. This was like totally a God thing. Like I've been struggling a lot recently. And so that same day I I cried, October 4th, I wrote a song. Oh, okay. I came home and like the words just flowed. I was still at work. I pulled out the notes app, wrote the whole song, like verses, chorus, bridge, everything. I come home, tried to sing it for my spouse and your boy was slain, just bawling. (laughs) It's the confidence for me. Oh. It was like when I say balling, I mean like crying, weeping. Like I, I, no. I, yeah. I I gathered. Yeah, <laughs> that is great. You guys, Alvin is a singer too. We got a singer, songwriter, guitarist. So are you? Okay, <laughs> okay. But anyway, mm-hmm. I love it for you, Alvin. Mm-hmm. You better. Okay, see, but that tells me that that's something you need to keep on doing because maybe that'll bring out the emotion more. Perhaps. Perhaps. (laughs) Okay. We're coming down to it. What is the thing that keeps you going? Like when you're finding the work is so hard to go to, what keeps you moving forward? Mm -hmm. It's the people. Like I love... I consider it such a privilege for people to tell me their stories. Like at first I'm a stranger, like you don't know me. I don't know you. And you decide to trust me and to share vulnerable parts of your life. Like that's a huge privilege. And I just enjoy being able to share in such a sacred moment with people. Um, I learn from them and, um, it's just just that I just have this desire to bring connection and to connect 
with people. And so whenever I can, whenever I have the chance to do that, it's, it's, it's like I relish it. So yeah, I, I have so many stories and sometimes it's not even things that will be happening necessarily directly with me. Like mm-hmm. I shared before, where I am right now is a hospital where most of the patients have severe mental illnesses. And I remember one day, um, two women sitting on a couch and one was eating like some kind of chips or something like that. And the other was just sitting there minding her business and the one with the chips, like, just, like, looks, she doesn't even look at her, really. Let me, let me kind of turn. She just kind of, like, just hands her a chip, the, the other person. And the person was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. And, and then the, the lady with the chips was like, just like, and then so the other lady was just like, and she just took it and just <laughs> ate it. And I'm like, Oh my heart! Like it's just the tenderness, just the genuineness of the moment, like the kindness. Like I just love to see. I just love to see those parts. I mean, I I, humanity is there's still greatness. Yeah, that is very similar to me too. I feel like that's it. Like. My favorite thing about my job is being able to be a part of someone's growth, like Mm, knowing that you are a part of it and you get to witnesses, witness Mm -hmm. it too. Like you get to see it right before your eyes, Mm -hmm. this person growing to be who they ultimately want to be and make like this positive change and sometimes that growth doesn't look great like Mm -hmm. sometimes that growth is ugly and messy and scary even for me as the therapist Mm -hmm. it doesn't always feel good but knowing that like there comes a time when I can say goodbye to this person and know that they have gone on the the beginning of their journey it just it does something to my heart too, you know, and that's mm. the thing that makes me want to keep on doing my job. Like, mm-hmm. and I think I try to remind myself because sometimes I feel like, man, I'm not doing anything. You know, sometimes the imposter syndrome just comes in and it tells you, uh, you, what are you doing? You don't even know what you're doing and yeah. all of these things. And I just remind myself that the same thing that you were saying, just sitting with a person is so mm-hmm. important me just being in this space makes a difference, period. And the fact yeah. that these people are also in this space have made the brave decision to come into this space mm-hmm. and sit with me, a stranger, too. It's just like, there's nothing else like it, you know? Mm-hmm. So in, and I try to remember that, like, in those hard days, I try to remind myself, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not mm-hmm. doing it. Like, this is hard, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't overshadow the the good parts. If it does start to overshadow the good parts, maybe we need some assistance. Or maybe we need to reevaluate some things about our lives. But I digress. Yeah. But 
yeah, that's it for me, man. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're coming down to the wire. The last thing, I think this is going to tie it all together. We do this in every podcast. It's our, what God has taught me. What is something that God has taught you? And you know what? Since this is the first time, it doesn't have to be like in the past week. It could be. Mm -hmm. But maybe just in the in your job, in your work, like what is a big lesson that you have learned? Mm. Um, God hasn't taught me Um, so I actually, um, I actually preached on this recently at work. So we have services every week Mm -hmm. and, um, I was talking about restoration and, you know, all of us in this life, we're going to go through stuff. And I learned that from God, God has taught me that restoration is available for everyone. But it is very personal. Mm. So what restoration looks like for me might not look the same way as it does for you so like all throughout the bible we see all these stories of these great miracles you know i when i preached or talked about um i pre- talked about job i talked about blind bartimaeus you can think about story woman with the issue of blood this and that and the other mm-hmm. and we see these miracles and we're like you know wow jesus came and healed these people and just like you know, just like that. But the truth is, like, we don't know how long all the time. Some of the stories tell you how long somebody was struggling for. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't. We don't know if when the miracle happened, the person who was blind that received sight. Did he go blind again? What was his life like? How did he adjust to life after being blind? We talk about Job. Job lost 10 kids. Yes, Job got 10 new kids, but you're going to tell me that there wasn't some trauma in that? Like you lost all of your children, your possessions, this and that. Mm. But, you know, yes, there was restoration, but it was not the same for each person. And so sometimes being restored, it might be a physical thing. Sometimes it might be a spiritual thing. It might not be something that somebody sees. And so like each person's restoration journey will look different. And it's uniquely beautiful. I love that. That is so good. I think something that God has taught me, I mentioned earlier, I have really struggled a lot recently with imposter syndrome where I just feel like man like what am I doing why why am I even here like I can't do this I start to doubt all of my abilities everything and actually it was funny because there was one day that I was just all up in my head and I I I will never forget 
So when I first came to the job, I talked about this on the podcast too. Um, one of my clients, she wasn't actually my client. She was just a client like that was just there because mm-hmm. it's a residential facility. We also do groups. And mm-hmm. so I was sitting in on groups and just like in my training phase, I was around. And so sitting in, in groups, I also participated in groups mm-hmm. and she was about to leave and she made every, well, she, yeah, I think she made everybody these like jars of, you know, like these sensory jars. Right. And she made me one and it was like, mm-hmm. I was new. She did not know me. I, I literally was there for like a week. She was about to leave and she made one kind of like a, a goodbye gift mm-hmm. and she gave one to me. And you know what she said to me? I get emotional thinking about it every time. She said, I really value what you've um, been able to share in the groups. Like you belong here. You mm. belong in this space. Mm-hmm. And then she gave me the, the, the gift. And it was just like in the moment when I was having all the doubt, you know, she said, you belong here. And so I have that on my desk now. Yes. And this week, man, I'm telling you, I was going through it. And I sat on my desk and I looked at that thing. And <laughs> her words just came back to me. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I just started crying again. Oh, yes. <laughs> but I think the As thing my is. my boss would say, let the living waters flow. Okay. I let them live. I didn't want to, but they flew. They flew anyways. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyways. So I think what I'm learning though, is that sometimes you're in situations that seem just so hard and it's like, why? Mm -hmm. And I think God is showing me there is a purpose. Like Mm -hmm. you are going through this for a reason. You're where you're at for a reason. You're in that physical place for a reason. And there are times when I'm like, I'm out of here. And God continues to remind me, you need to be here for mm-hmm. a reason. Like I, I made all the things work out, all the plans work out so you could be in the space. And I know it's hard, but this is where you need to be right now. Mm-hmm. And so that's been really encouraging to me because yeah, like it's hard as we've talked about. It'd be hard. So it's been very, very encouraging. Um, and I, that's something I want to share with everyone that's listening too. We're talking about our jobs and the things that are hard, but also the things that are fulfilling. And I just want to share with y'all that listen, wherever you are in this moment, difficult, happy, sad, whatever, that's where you need to be for a purpose and then just embrace, embrace it. So with that being said, Alwyn, thank you so much for joining me in this episode. It was awesome to catch up and talk to you. Yeah, we've been here for a, a long time. I guess that's what happens when we don't talk for a long time. I know. Do you know what that means? That means we need to have you on the podcast again. <laughs> I mean, I would be honored. Yes. Maybe we'll talk about, you know, mental health in the Caribbean or something like that. I don't know. I'm here for it. Could be, could be good, you know. I'm um, here for it. <laughs> 
So we're definitely going to have you back. But thank you so much for coming. I look forward to having you on the next time. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And for everybody else, until next week.